Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hey, Brittany. Hi, Connor. Today, I want to talk about something called the World Economic Forum. And, you know, our listeners already know that when these government bureaucrats try and plan for people and, and have these forums to you know, make all these centrally planned programs and laws and things like inevitably we lose freedom. And the World Economic Forum in particular is not part of the government per se, uh, but it is filled with very high powered people with, you know, money and influence who believe that they know what's best, not only for, you know, the country's economy, but for the entire world. And so it's these, these kind of elite of society, you might say, these politicians and bankers and all these people who are in positions of power and they come together. Uh, there are other institutions, you know, the Bilderbergs and all these things, these kind of high society people who think that the rest of us are like pawns on a chessboard to just be moved around at their pleasure. And uh, so there's the founder who, he looks like, a, his name's mm -hmm. Klaus. Klaus Martin Schwab, and uh, he looks like 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 what you would just imagine as one of these super villains. Like he reminds me of, you know, Doctor Evil from the old Austin Powers movies. Like he and just not just like his face, his clothes. Like it's his, his clothes. little uniform. <laughs> he dresses so weird. Like he like he just wants to be parodied as almost like he knows that people are going to think this about him, so he just like leans into it and and does that. But man, when your like actions and your words are evil and then you look like a supervillain and dress the part, like, what are you doing? You know, yep. you're literally trying to create that image. And these guys, man, they, they have always been up to no good, but they have, it feels like recently been more open about their intentions, especially since the pandemic. And so coming out of this is where we get this concept of uh, what's known as, and not just what's known as, they literally call it this, mm -hmm. openly talk about it. Uh, it's called the Great Reset. So Brittany, why don't you talk about what the Great Reset is, what they are talking about, and then we can go from there. Yeah. So it's funny to me, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, bug you with conspiracies. But it was very quickly after the Aww. pandemic. It was like it was I think 2 months or 3 months after the pandemic happened where this like really dramatic video came out from the World Economic Forum and it was, you know, showing pictures of all this tragedy and it was remember this is when we were still at home and everybody was yeah. still pretty scared, you know, showing pictures of of hospitals and people being sick and people dying and then there's no talking in it. It's just this really emotional music and and it, it was like a movie trailer and it was just like at the end it's you know the great reset like prepare for the great reset and you're just thinking like okay what is this and I think they made another one too where it was just basically so they want to focus on the great reset they're saying like let's use this to push through environmental policies that we've been wanting to push through. Let's do like, let's now force people to maybe start thinking about a more socialist economy. And they don't use the word socialist because they're smart propagandists and uh, they, they put it in different terms than that, than, that we'll get to later. Um, but they also have this really scary belief on that note that you will own nothing. The future, the perfect future is that you will own nothing and you will be happy. And that to me is one of the scariest things ever. Mm -hmm. So I want to read you guys a little a little excerpt from a Forbes article written by somebody um, from the World Economic Forum when all this came out. So it's, welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city? I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. 
I don't own any appliances or clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all these things became free, so it ended up not making any sense for us to own too much. Now, in our city, we don't pay rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we don't need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I am not there. Now, I could go on because the article is very long, but I won't because this is creepy enough, I think. So you'll notice, I think it's funny because, again, like we said, like they're not even trying to hide it, right? It used to be at least a little bit more hidden, but he flat out says, you know, our city. It's not my city. Not, you know, you don't have ownership of anything any, anymore. Everything is ours. You don't own anything. Even the scariest part is like, oh, well, when I'm not at home, somebody else is using my living room. So there's this, this sense of community, but not in a good way, the scary kind of community where everybody shares everything they have. It also, the part where she says, I think it's an author, it's a she, not a he, um, everything is free now. And that made me think of, we've talked about this before, this idea of a universal basic income where governments want to give everybody a certain amount of money every month that's supposed to go so they don't have to you know, pay for food and clothing and all that stuff. So in this ideal society, this great reset, Nobody's going to have to pay for everything. It sounds really nice, doesn't it, Connor? Sounds utopian or maybe, <laughs> yeah. or maybe dystopian, right? Because, you know, how do we get there? Well, are we going to get there because we've evolved into something? Or are we going to get there through these totalitarian governments that just destroy the idea of property rights and the books that we've been reading, like 1984 and, and Animal Farm and Brave New World and all, you know, Hunger Games, like, we read these dystopian books, I think, for a reason to recognize that when you get these evil central planners that try to reshape society in their image, they have to do it through brutal oppression. No one is dis no, no one's reading this article and thinking, yeah, let's let's all voluntarily go in that direction. Let's let random strangers into my living room. Let's not own anything. And I'll be happy about all. That. No one. No one read that article and is thinking that everyone read that article and said, oh, here's what the people in power are thinking about and trying to figure out how they can impose that upon us, how they can try and force us in that direction. And that is the, I think, biggest problem with the Great Reset is it's not this voluntary reordering of society. It's not spontaneous order. It's not that each of us are making decisions in our own lives and deciding that, yeah, we should go in this direction or that would be good for me. No, that's none of that is happening. Instead, what is happening is that central planners are sitting around thinking they know what is best for us. They know what we should do. They know what the world should look like, and they are trying to fashion the world in their image. And of course, as readers of our book, The Tuttle Twins and the Road to Serfdom know, central planning always fails. And it fails because uh, there's a knowledge problem. So F.A. Hayek, when he wrote The Road to Serfdom, he talked about this knowledge problem, and that is no one person can have enough knowledge to know what's best for another person because I, I know kind of what's good for me. I, I live my own life. I live in my neighborhood, whatever, but I don't have the ability to have all the knowledge for people who live, let's say, in the city next to me. I don't know what it's like to live there. I don't know what the trash service is like or I don't know if, you know, there's a gang that's over there that's causing problems. So then you take someone who lives in Washington, D.C. Of course, they, they have no basis to have the knowledge necessary to make smart and effective decisions for my life when they don't know me at all. They don't know what it's like to live where I do, to work where I do, to have the kids and family that I do. 
And, and so that's the knowledge problem. And it's wrong to think for anyone to think like Klaus Schwab to think that, you know, he and his cronies, his evil buddies can know what is right for us. And, and that is the problem with, with central planning. But of course, the people who like to central plan, they ultimately don't care about that. They don't care about the negative consequences. They just want to forcefully shape society the way they want. They know that there's going to be problems. They know that people are going to object. They know there's going to be uh, negative consequences that people will experience as a result of their efforts, but they don't care because they want to get what they want. They want to use the power that they have and they want the outcomes that they do. The rest of us, you know, again, we're just pawns in a chess game to them. We, we can be sacrificed. They don't care. That is the problem in my mind with the World Economic Forum and, and these types of organizations is that these people don't care what's best for us. They don't know what's best for us. And yet they're trying to force us all to go along with their plans. Not only that, I mean, they look for ways, you know, don't let a, a crisis go to waste is a, is a very famous government saying, you know, like if you have a, if you can look for a crisis and then use that to cram through your ideas, that's great. Now, I do want to ask you something because this is something I think about too. Now, when I read this, this, this quote, especially the part about the living room, I can't help but think about things like Airbnb or Uber. Because And I've talked to people about this because they're confused. They're like, wait a second. So I don't agree with the Great Reset, but I love the sharing economy. So what it, you know, is this? Are we actually just going along with this, like not even realizing that we're helping their plan? And I'm curious to know what you think. I have, I have my own ideas why I don't think that's entirely accurate. But what do you think about mm, that, Connor? That's an interesting question because I think of parking lots. So we waste a lot of land on parking lots, just rows and rows and rows of cars. And, and so I'm excited by the idea of self-driving cars. Uh, I actually own a Tesla. I use the kind Way of to brag, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I use the self-driving feature on the freeway and I like it a lot. And uh, in fact, just, you know, uh, a few months ago, I was I had to go on a three hour drive and I found that when I got there, I was much more kind of refreshed and energetic because I didn't have to be so fixated on the road thinking I might crash into someone and making sure the car was there, the computer, the cameras was there to kind of make it easy. And so I could kind of relax a little bit and not be so focused as much on the road because I knew that that you know, f uh, feature was there. And so I, I like this idea of self-driving cars. I like the idea that, you know, I don't need to come to work and have my car just sit there for eight hours a day. Kind of like this example says with a home, I can do the same thing with a car. I could say, okay, car, thanks for dropping me off. Go, go pick people up like Uber and take them where they need to go. And then they'll pay me for it. And so then I can have help paying for my car by, sending it off to go drive for other people and have this self-driving car that just goes around. And then I say, hey, just make sure you're here at five o'clock to pick me up and take me home. So that's kind of a cool idea. But then I think of what was that Will Smith movie? I think it was called iRobot or something like that. Yeah, I never and, saw uh, that one, but yeah, I know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. And I mean, there's other stories like this, right? Where like when you have these 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 technologies, then you know they can be controlled. So as cool as self-driving cars are, well, is the government going to have the ultimate ability to be able to track you down or to be able to control your car or to be able to say, oh, you didn't pay this tax, so we're going to turn your car off, right? Or you did this thing like a social credit credit score we've talked about before in China, and and uh, oh, your your social credit isn't high enough. You're you went to this protest. We're going to turn your car off so you can't, you know, drive for a week. And so there's trade-offs, there's risks where if we have a lot of this cool kind of innovation, whether it's with a car or home or things like this, um, are we running the risk of 
having the government be able to get its hands in there and control things a bit more. So I think that is something in my mind we have to be very careful for is that we can go in this direction of a sharing economy, of technology, of innovation, but making sure that it's protected in some or several ways against the government. Otherwise, you know, the government is going to see that as a very tempting opportunity to exert control over us like happens in China. That's one thing that worries me about going in this direction is the government control that can happen. I think another thing to mention, we've talked about this before, is that saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. And, you know, this is painting this picture of everything's free. Look, you don't have to pay for anything. Sure, you'll have to share your living room when you're not in it, but you don't have to pay for it. Well, we know that that's there's no such thing as free. Someone has to someone has to pay for something, right? A free home isn't free because somebody has to pay for the materials it takes to make the home and then somebody has to build the home. So unless you're forcing somebody to do something or fund something they don't want to do, then it's not free. You either pay with, you know, taxes or money or you pay with your your forced labor. So this utopian dystopian, which kind of seem one and the same, to be honest with you, if we talk <laughs> about people who talk about utopian societies, right? There is no such thing. Um, it, it just doesn't seem it seems like we're going to lose freedom very quickly. This doesn't seem like some, you know, individual liberty centric society at all. So that's that's something that strikes me as just so scary and strange. I think it is scary and it's something that we need to pay attention to because the fact that they are so openly talking about the Great Reset and these ideas, I think a large part of the reason why they're so open is to evaluate the response. They want to see, okay, is there going to be a lot of resistance to this? Who's fighting back? How much are they fighting back? Or also, can we get them acclimatized to this idea? I think of uh, you know the real ID uh, in like 2007. There was this national outrage because of this concept known as real ID. It was like a national ID, and it was you know having one uh, ID card like driver's license that would be the same across the country. And a lot of people were concerned about a national ID because that's what leads to you know. Uh, empowering the federal government and other tyrannical countries have had these national IDs and it always kind of leads towards bad things. So there was this huge pushback. I mean, huge, huge, huge. And states were passing laws saying we're not doing real ID. They would pass what's called resolutions, which just means like an opinion where they say we don't want that. And so there was this big outrage. And then what happened? Well, what happened is the federal government quietly got to work and they started giving grants, money, to states that would comply just with tiny pieces. Oh, okay, that's fine. You don't need to do the, the whole uh, real ID. Just there's all these like like fifteen or twenty pieces of it. If you do just these two, we'll give you this grant. And oh, if you do this one over here, you know, unrelated, but if you just comply with this, we'll give you a grant. And over the next ten years, states became entirely compliant with real ID. Almost all of them, the states that had stood up to fight, slowly became co-opted and corrupted to the point where they became compliant with real ID. And then just like last year, they they put the nail in the coffin. And for those of you that travel, the adults listening perhaps, you had to get your driver's license with the yellow star on it. And so if you pull out your driver's license, you'll likely see a yellow star if you've traveled any time in the, in the past while. And that, at least that's how it is in Utah. I think that's the marker for all, uh, all states. And, um, and that means it's a real ID compliant driver's license. So now here we are 15 years later. And after all the national outrage, the government quietly went to work, the states quietly became compliant, and no one really paid attention in between. And so one concern I have with the World Economic Forum is they say, great, re- great reset, everyone freaks out, that'd be horrible. 
and then things quietly get implemented slowly and incrementally right and then we end up exactly where we didn't want to because no one's really paying attention no one's fighting back everyone wants the benefits and the grants and the money and the things and then we find ourselves exactly where we said we wouldn't be so that is something i think we need to be watchful for we need to make sure we're thinking about paying very careful attention to because we saw with real id happen what i'm worried is happening with the great reset and that we're slowly going to start to see the very thing that klaus schwab and his <laughs> evil cronies are worried about so something to pay attention to uh something certainly to give more attention to as we get distracted with our lives and wonder what these people are doing i think we need to keep this one on our radar so I'm glad we could talk about it Brittany. and until next time we'll talk to you later Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.